First of all, an apology. In the previous episode, when discussing the notoriously controversial lyrics to the classical on Hex Induction Hour, we rounded on Ewan when he asserted that Marky e. Smith had dropped the offending lyric when performing it in 2002. Whilst we weren't ready to give Smith a free pass on his choice of words, we were equally unwilling to believe he'd show anything approaching contrition, at least not in public. Well, it turns out Ewan was right. The classical was briefly reprised in the fall's early 2000s set, but I can find no record of what he actually sang instead. Get in touch if you know. On this episode, our 16th in total, I'm pleased to say we're rejoined by the same guests as last time in order to explore the latter part of the fall's 1980s output. Fliss Kitson, the Nightingale's phenomenal drummer, seriously, go and see them live as soon as seeing bands live is a thing again, John Henderson of Tiny Global Productions, and Jonathan Fisher all return to share their love for the late 80s fall sound. Ewan and I feel very lucky to have been blessed with such exceptional guests. If this is your first time listening to our podcast, I strongly recommend jumping back an episode and listening from the beginning of this particular journey. You can find all our episodes on Beat Rehab at beat.rehab tempfans and on our new website at tempfans.com. They're also in all the other places people forage for podcasts, including that weird one you use. You can also find out what we're listening to outside the podcast by joining the Temporary Fandoms Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tempfans. Like us, share us, buy us a coffee, all that bollocks. But I'm pretty sure I know what you're here for. We've got another six full albums to pick over. So let's just get on with it. Get ready, Temp fans, for the fall part two. Hello there, welcome to, back to Temporary Fandoms. This is episode 16, and or part two of the fall, if you only started joining us for the fall. Um, remember there are... Loads of other bands we have covered so far uh, go back for Queens of the Stone Age, Spoon, Can, David Bowie, Yola Tengo, The Pogues, ESG, and there's others. a lot coming, mm, and others, and there's a lot coming this, this year. Um, still with us, um, John Henderson. Hey, John. Hi. Fliss Kitson. Hey, Fliss. Hello. Jonathan Fisher. Hey, John. Hi there. And Nick. Hello. Uh, we're going to keep this brief as obviously um, there's a lot more to talk about. So we're going to get straight onto the introductions. Um, no introductions from John Henderson this time. Um, we've got Nick who is talking about uh, 1983's Perverted by Language. Perfect. And Fliss, you're back with The Wonderful and Frightening World of the Fall. Excellent. And John Fisher, what are you covering today? I've got the whole second half of the 80s. Wow. From this nations, I know, this nations to Curious Orange. And I've managed to sneak in a bit of Seminal Live as well. Um, as, a, as a lovely aside, you know, when you have a, a reference that you don't know where it came from, um, growing up with a program in, in the UK in the mid, mid 90s, which was This Morning with Richard, not Judy, mm. uh, with Stuart Lee and Richard Herring. Um, now I know what the Curious Orange is, because there was a character called ah. I Am Curious Orange. Um, mm -hmm. which we hopefully will discover well. and discuss uh, later on in the round table. So without further ado, I'm going to hand you over to one of John Fisher's musical stings and we'll be back in a bit. How are you going to write a full song, writes Steve Hanley in the big midweek. 
simple bassline, pounding drums, scratch guitar, blocks of cryptic lyrics. 1983's Perverted by Language has all these things. We still have Craig Scanlon doing his scratchy guitar, Steve Hanley on bass, which may well be simple, but it's also the relentless force that drives the whole album, and still no less than two pounding drummers, Steve's brother Paul and Carl Burns. This is also the first album to feature Brick Smith, Mark's soon-to-be wife, and may be considered the beginning of what is often referred to as the Bricks era. However, most of it was recorded before she joined. She first turns up on the backing vocals of the album's opening track, the call and response oddity that is Eat Yourself Fitter. This is the full track that John Peel chose as his Desert Island disc, claiming that he fainted the first time he heard it. I'm not sure it would be my choice, but Peel's alleged giddiness makes for a touching story. Bricks doesn't show up again until the closing track on side one. A wobbly intonation of one more time for the record on Hotel Blodel is either endearing or excruciating, depending on your sensitivity. I love this first tentative step towards transforming the full sound into something more poppy, a tension that would define their sound for the next decade. The rest of the record is closer to Hex Induction Hour in sound, although I sometimes feel that the six and a half minutes of Eat Yourself Fitter make it seem harder to digest. In Neighbourhood of Infinity, Smith sings, I used to have this thing about Link Ray. I used to play him every Saturday, and for years before I discovered who Link Ray actually was, I used to imagine that this was a 1980s arcade game. In fact, I had a very clear image of Marky Smith playing Link Ray on one of those tabletop video games you found in pubs in the early 80s, the glass smeared with lager. If you don't know who Link Ray is, look him up. Soon you'll be playing him every Saturday. God bless Saturday. And while I'm on Neighbourhood of Infinity, Allow me to add that it may be one of the only known instances of the word jackanapes in a pop song. Get in touch if you know otherwise. Garden. More impenetrable yet strangely evocative lyrics, as we see what flows from Marky Smith's slushy pen over a hypnotically skewed riff. If you want to dig deeper, I can strongly recommend the excellent annotated fall website, but honestly, I don't know that you'll come out any the wiser. It's all just impressionistic illusions and surreal or sinister gobs of linguistic intrigue. The song plays out to Marky Smith repeatedly screaming, A Jew on a motorbike! One of the most quintessentially full moments in their long discography. There's more, so much more, but it's best if you just listen to it and submerge yourself in its unsettling miasma. Coming up for air into the more mundane world of record labels and the axes Marky Smith had to grind, he fell out with Rough Trade because of his probably correct perception that they were more interested in those other Mancunian upstars who seemed to have stolen his name. The Smiths. The bloody nerve. The wonderful and frightening world of The Four. I certainly think this is the more accessible album to come from the group by this date, but it's still highly interesting with a lot of layers. Um, it starts off pretty gothic with Lay of the Land, and then that big hefty bass line that everyone's got to love from Steve Hanley grabs you by the collar right away. And the first two tracks feel quite propelled, like you get on a Krautrock record, and I think that's why I really got hooked to this album when I first heard it. That can Jackie Leapside drumming, repetitive, love it. Um, and then the pop touches come in right from the second track, two by four, hand claps and dual vocal by Bricks. Then it goes into this great attitude drone on Cockpit with guest vocal by Gavin Friday from the Virgin Prunes. 
I'm not actually sure on the story behind that, but it definitely brings back the goth element in again. Then there's elves, and if you're going to steal, you steal from the best, don't you? But it's definitely a homage or blatant rip-off of the Stooges' I Want to Be Your Dog. Um, it's my least favourite track, I'd say. It's just no bollocks to it, and it sounds like it's knocked off quite quickly, a bit undercooked. The lyrics are really good, though, and I love the gang vocals on this track. Um, for some reason, I've got a French pressing of this album, not because I'm a vinyl nerd at all, just do. And it's got Creep on it next, and I know I can see why this was left off the original album, to be honest, because it doesn't sit on it at all. It's definitely going for the chart sound. It even sounds like a drum machine, I don't know, but it's definitely a standalone single and should have been never put on this album, I don't think. So straight into slanking then. And I always think of this song, if you were down a pub and asked someone who had vaguely heard of The Fall to do an impression of Marky Smith, they'd do it in the style of how this song starts. This is him. His vocal style is so unusual and people forget how unique it really is. I feel like this track could have been an inspiration on the mad Chester Happy Mondays guitar sound. Don't quote me on that because I know nothing about that scene, but it really sounds like that guitar sound, doesn't it? And then it's Bug Day, and this just sits there in a psychedelic kind of way. Really reminds me of Zappa or Future Days by Can, and that hot feeling you get where it's just like the summer atmosphere in the music, love it. Steven's song, I'd say this is my favorite song on this record. I'm not entirely sure why, but I always go back to this song. It's that repetitive horse riding riff again, I think. And Gavin Friday's back, bringing the gothic vocals in. Can't beat it. And then the album ends with Disney's Dream Debased. And I think this is a lovely song. If you could say any song by the four was lovely, I suppose. But it's quite sad knowing the meaning behind it now after reading Brix's book so maybe we'll discuss that in the podcast a bit more but it could have been a big influence on the pixies this song the riffs are quite epic sounding and I love that satanic riff in the middle that never happens again that you just want to happen again yeah brilliant album give it a listen if you never have I'm can guarantee you the first three songs if you play it on good speakers will have you hooked straight away <laughs> 